Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Noah emerged out of death after leaving the ark and about God's response to Noah's sacrifice. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's start with asking God for His help. And that's right, Lord, we come to you this morning and we so much need your help. We need your help, Lord, to open our eyes so that we can see clearly the one whom the Bible is the subject about, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need your help, Lord, to corral the thoughts of our minds, which are, Lord, so distracted. We need your help, Lord, that we might walk away from this having been with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 8. Okay, please follow along here. Genesis chapter 8, verse 18. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife, and his son's wife with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite it any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Verse uh, 1, chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered and every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood, Thereof shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of man, and at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now, we've we've seen emphasized as we've been studying this that those who came out of the ark, Those who emerged from this scene of great death, those who came out of death as the only survivors, the only eight from this massive flood judgment were those who followed Noah into the ark and they became known, as we've seen, as those who were with Noah, which emphasized to us that Noah was the Savior, was the only Savior from God's universal judgment. And in that way, we saw how Noah is like the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior from hell. Now, with the history of Noah, we saw something new last week in how God began to deal with all mankind as a unit, as a a kind of a universal sense. And he began to do things that affected all mankind. With the history of Noah, we saw that there was a judgment of all mankind. With the history of Noah, we saw that there was an ark, one ark, the one and only way for all mankind to be saved from the flood. To emphasize in this history of Noah, God's dealings with all mankind, that we saw that God began to use a special term that emphasized this. With the history of Noah, God began to use this term, which we saw, which was the term, all flesh, or kolbasar, 
all flesh had corrupted his way, or put in the Romans 3.23 way, the glory of God. God gave to all flesh one way of salvation, which was the ark, or put in the words of Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other for mankind. There's none other uh, name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And we know that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, In chapter 8, where we are now, we saw another word for the first time used, and that was the word altar, mitzbeach, which literally means the place of slaughter, the place where victims were brought to, to be killed. And that's what the word altar means here. It's a very, very important for Noah, this altar, because building the altar was Noah's first priority when he emerged from the ark. And we saw how he was known as a builder of two things. Noah built the ark, Noah built the altar. And we saw how that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us to be known by. We build an altar, we build an ark. We saw how Noah did when he built this ark, what he was doing when he built the ark is that he was making a way for the lost to be saved. That's what the ark was. The ark was a way for the lost to be saved. And if we keep that in mind, then we get the clue of how we build our ark. What we do when we build an ark is we make a way for the lost to be saved. When we build relationships with the lost. I mean, think about it. How many lost people do you have a relationship with? Because God said, is in essence, he's saying, when you build a relationship with the lost, you're making a way for the lost to be saved. You'll use that relationship for the lost to be saved. And we saw that in the case of Noah, built the ark, and Noah also known for building the altar where, where he worshiped God. He had that priority. Same for us. Our priority is to worship the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Spend time with him. Open Bible. Open heart. That's what it means. And we saw how Noah's obedience, which was bringing a blessing that extended way beyond Noah, what he did, we benefit from today. Those who got off the ark benefited from today because of his obedience. And that's the picture of a priestly intercessor. That's Noah's, the priestly intercessor, having a good effect on people far beyond himself, like the Lord Jesus Christ. Those close to Noah, in other words, his family, they were saved because of Noah's obedience when they got off the ark. They turned to Noah and they thanked him for what he did. Another word we saw for the first time used in verse 20 was the word offerings, which, as we saw, means something ascending up, like a ladder, or something going up. And as a matter of fact, there's a, an important word that's used twice in verse 20 about the offerings, and that's the word every. Noah offered every clean beast and of every clean fowl. Now, he could have held some back. He could have said, you know, this, I don't understand. He could have said, you know, what, what use is it to kill these animals and then to burn them up so there's just a pile of ashes? He could have done that, but not Noah. Noah was determined, and that word every brings it out. He was determined to say to God, I give everything God, and I hold nothing back. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. All my being's ransom powers. All my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. That's the idea behind this word every. 
So using the word every twice there emphasizes that Noah did not keep back, keep back part from God. Those are the very words that were used about Ananias and Sapphira, was that they kept back part. And when Peter challenged them about the sale of their real estate and what they do with the money, Peter said in Acts 5.3, Peter said to Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Well, that wasn't Noah. Noah was an every and all to God type of person. Now it says in verse 21, as we've seen, that God's response to Noah giving this offering was that the Lord smelled a sweet savor and he said in his heart, okay? Now God's response to Noah's offering of a wholehearted devotion is said that he smelled a sweet savor. Now that brings to us a very special a very interesting first time it's used in the Bible here that will go on to be used many, many times, 43 more times. It's going to be used throughout the Bible as the word sweet. It's the word sweet. In the Hebrew, that word is nechoach. That's what it is, nechoach. It's, it's the, that's what the word is for sweet. It's a special word in the Bible. Why? Why is it a special word? Well, first of all, first thing to know about that word is that word has a twin sister, and they're inseparable. You always find its twin sister word with it. Now, what's the twin sister word? What's here? It's savor, savor, or odor, or smell. And that's the word reach, reach, which means the smell or the odor or the savor. And it's a twin sister. So you never find this word sweet, this particular word in Hebrew here, sweet without its twin sister. They're always together, see? So every time you see this word, sweet, which is this word, you know, nichoach, every time you see that in the Bible, it always means the it's always describing the savor, the smell, the odor, and it's always in connection with the offering to God. It's always that way. It gets a very important issue here in the Bible, which is very important for every person. And that issue is, what is an acceptable offering to God? What makes, I mean, after all, we've already studied in Genesis 4, two people. We see Cain, we see Abel. Each one has a different offering, and they get a different response from God. So it says in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And verse 4 says, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And then it says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And then Cain was angry about it. So we have here Abel, he brings an acceptable offering to God. Abel goes to heaven. And then we have Cain, and he brings an offering to God that's not acceptable. Cain goes to hell, as it says in 1 John 3.12. He was of that wicked one. So that's the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain brings an, Abel brings an acceptable offering, goes to heaven. Cain brings an unacceptable offering, goes to hell. Apart from that, Cain is fine. All right. So there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important in life than to go to heaven. And there's, so therefore, and, and to avoid hell, I mean, what could be more important than that? 
But so there's nothing more important than to bring an acceptable offering to God that smells sweet to him, that gets a person into heaven. That's very important. Unacceptable offering, God does not smell sweet, and the person ends up in hell. That's very, very important for us to understand. What is an acceptable offering to God that will smell sweet to him? Big issue. It's a big issue. What's the acceptable offering? All right. So the answer to that is tied up in this word sweet. sweet, Don't think of sweet like honey sweet. It just happens to be translated sweet. But anyway. So what does that word mean? Nichoach. What does it mean? Well, it's very important. In fact, it's so important, the way it's written here, it says the Lord smelled a savor, the sweet. So it gives it the title of this savor, this odor is called the sweet, the sweet. Okay, so what does it mean when God smells a sweet uh, savor? Okay, now, if I say to you this word, nichoach, what does it sound like to you? What other word does it sound like to you? Let me just give you a hint <laughs> and tell you that in Hebrew, the word Noah is not, is not Noah, it's noach, noach. And so this is a nichoach, okay? You got it. <laughs> it sounds like Noah, right? It sounds like, okay, maybe it doesn't to What can we, what can we do? All right, so anyway, so the meaning of Noah's name is tied up in this meaning of the word sweet here. Anybody remember what Noah's father, Noah's dad, why he named him Noah? Yeah, he's going to give rest. He's going to give comfort. Nacham, comfort. He's going to give rest. He's going to give comfort. So when everyone gets off the ark, they turn to Noah and they said, your dad was right. They said, said, you really did give us rest. You did give us comfort. You gave us peace, you know. So you did that. In other words, when we got on the ark, we didn't have any rest, comfort, or peace. It was very, very bad. And now we get off the ark, and look, you did it. Okay? So the truth that's behind this, and if you turn to this, keep your place. That's why you have ten fingers, so you can keep ten places. So turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Isaiah 53, 11. Very important word there. It said, well, you look at Isaiah 53.10 and you, you can see a little bit more. You look at Isaiah 53.9, you see a little bit more. You look at the whole chapter, you see everything. Anyway, Isaiah 53.9 describes to us the type of offering that the Lord Jesus Christ was. Because he had done no violence and neither was there any deceit in his mouth, that means he was an offering without blemish. He was perfect. He was sinless. And now we get in verse 10, and it says that the Lord made the offering of him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. And then in the middle of verse 10, we have, what should we do, therefore, you make, personally, individually, his soul your offering for sin. But then it says in verse 11, that when the Father, when God the Father saw the travail of his soul, here's here's an interesting word, he said he was satisfied. He was satisfied. And he says, by his knowledge, he'll justify many. That word satisfied in Isaiah 53, 11, is the key to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was satisfied, that means it was enough. It was enough, and God was satisfied that all his requirements for justice have been met. It was enough, and he was satisfied that all of man's debt for sin had been paid. 
Tom, today you talked about a scene where Noah left the ark and how they and the ark literally sailed through bloody seas. In other words, Noah emerged out of death. What is the significance of that scene to our lives? Isn't that something to say those words that Noah and the ark literally sailed through bloody seas? And isn't it dramatic to think about Noah as he is floating on top of the graveyard for the world? All the world has died except for Noah and those with him in the ark. And when the door swings open, it's an emergence out of death. It's really dramatic. It's very significant for our lives because David said in Psalm 56, 13, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk? before God in the light of the living. That's literally what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He's delivered our soul from death. That's what he did for Noah on the ark. He delivered his soul from death. When Noah emerged out of the ark, he emerged out of death. We will more than likely, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we will more than likely go into the physical death along with everybody else, but we will emerge like Noah did if we have our faith put in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he is so central when it says in 2 Corinthians 1.10, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You see there, what the Apostle Paul is doing there, he's saying, look past, he delivered from a death. Present, he is delivering. And future, he will yet deliver. Deliver from what? Death, 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 death. That's what happened to Noah. He delivered him from so great a death. It was, as we said, he was floating on top of the world's graveyard. It was so great a death. And what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us is he delivers us from so great a death. That's what hell is. Hell is a great death. And he delivers us from hell. He delivers us from the greatness of that death. It says in Isaiah 25, 8, speaking of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he accomplished for us on the cross. And when you ask the question, what is the word to describe what he did on the cross? It's given for us in Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. That's the word that describes the work on the cross. What did he do on the cross? He swallowed up. He swallowed up death in victory. There was a great contest that took place on Mount Calvary on the cross. It was a contest between death and the Lord Jesus Christ. And death was our enemy. Death is our enemy. And we and ourselves are absolutely helpless against death. We are helpless to stop death to overcome death. We are helpless in ourselves and in our loved ones. Death laughs at us as we cling to a loved one and say, no, this loved one shall not die. Death just laughs and takes that one. But a far worse death than a physical death is the next death, the second death, which is hell, which is the lake of fire. And that's the death That's the death to fear above any other death. It's especially to fear above the physical death. And no one, no one, no one 
has power against that death. We are all absolutely helpless. But our victor, our hero, our champion was the Lord Jesus Christ. And there on Calvary at the cross, he won. He was the victor. And what it says he did did there, he swallowed up death. You know, on the altar for the Old Testament there, we see the many altars in the Old Testament. And those altars and the and the, that altar that altar in the tabernacle, those altars in the in the temple, those brazen altars, those places of fire, fire that the sacrifice was put onto the altar, fire was a symbol of death. It devoured, it never stopped, it's never satisfied, as the Bible says. Death and fire continued to swallow up, swallow up. Fire swallowed up the sacrifice on the altar. But here was the case on the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ came to that altar of sacrifice. That fire did not consume him. He consumed the fire. Death did not consume him. He consumed death. That's why the image is so vivid here that he swallowed up death with victory. Therefore, like Noah, we can emerge out of death into life. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 51 through 54, Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of, a, of the eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, just as, just as when Noah left that ark, it was apparent he was coming out of death, out of that sea of death, so to speak, and he was alive. And in the same way, that's what's going to happen to us when the Lord calls and says the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Amen. And that'll be a wonderful day. And Tom, you also talked about the Hebrew word for altar, which means a place of slaughter. Now, one of the current teachings in the synagogues is that a person does not need a blood sacrifice to be justified with God. Is that what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches that the blood sacrifice is absolutely necessary, and that's why it's so important that the word altar really means the place of slaughter. God has never changed Leviticus 17.11. It's the principle which permeates all throughout the Torah. The whole book of Leviticus is dedicated to this truth in Leviticus 17.11, which says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you a Upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. It's not the prayers that make an atonement for the soul. It's not anything else that makes an atonement for the soul. It's only the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So all those sacrifices slain on Jewish altars for so long a time, millions of them were only to point to the final sacrifice called the once for all sacrifice. And that sacrifice was made by the Lord Jesus Christ when his blood, the only pure spotless blood that could make an atonement for the soul was shed. 
and did make an atonement for the soul of all those who make his soul their atonement for sin. Just as it says in Isaiah 53, it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. That's why when Paul came to the Corinthians, he said, I determined not to know anything among you, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is the centrality of the message. It's the centrality of the point. He died for our sins. His blood was shed for our sins. His blood makes the atonement for the soul. That's why we have to run to him. That's why we have to cling to him. That's why we have to trust in him, because it's only his blood that makes an atonement for our souls to be justified with God. Thank you for joining us today. Now, what are the most frequently asked questions or FAQs that Jewish people have? Well, Tom Cantor's written a book called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. This book will help you to better reach the lost Jewish people around you, as well as know your Bible doctrine better and contend for the faith with anyone you encounter. With nearly 60 pages of questions and notes that help to answer and show the character, doctrine, and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old and New Testament like you've never understood before. It's a wonderful book, and you need to obtain a copy of this book, so please call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Just ask for the Frequently Asked Questions book, 1-800-247-3051. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org. We have an online resource section of Tom Cantor's materials. Just look for the Frequently Asked Questions book. Again, friendshipwithgod.org. Go to the online resource section. Plenty of Tom Cantor materials there or 1-800-247-3051. This is a great book for any lost Jewish person or even Gentiles that need to see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So this is a great book for Orthodox, Hasidic, Reformed, conservative Jewish people. Now, one of the other options that we do have for you is our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org. Some great resources on there, especially for those that are Jewish and are atheistic, or even Gentiles that are atheistic. Tom Cantor's got a great testimony booklet about how a Jew became a scientific creationist. As you know, Tom Cantor's a scientist, and this 48-page booklet is a power-packed testimony of how science supports the biblical truth of creationism. And this true story of Tom Cantor and his search for the truth of God and how the Creator was easily seen in science and the Bible is a very popular evangelistic tool for Jewish people and Gentiles, especially those that are of an atheistic nature. So go to friendshipwithgod.org, go to our online resource center, and order it today. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.